This season of The Witch Wave is brought to you in part by Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab. Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab is a fragrance house specializing in body and household blends with a dark, romantic, gothic tone. Over the years, they've collaborated with some of my very favorite creative visionaries, including Neil Gaiman, Jim Jarmusch, the Jim Henson Company, and most recently, Junji Ito. They continually return to inspirations drawn from witchcraft, paganism, and mythology, and they also have a sister store called Twilight Alchemy Lab, which creates oils blended and consecrated specifically for ritual use. The lab recently released their annual Halloween perfume collection, a limited edition series which includes scents inspired by folklore accounts of lycanthropy. Customer reviews of their products can be found at the fanrunbpal.org web forum, and you can check out all of their perfumes and other enchanting concoctions over at blackphoenixalchemylab.com. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Snowy Owl Tea. Snowy Owl Tea is unique handcrafted tea made with real fruit, fresh ground whole spices, full leaf teas, and blossoms. It's created with your health and comfort in mind using 100% biodegradable tea bags, and it comes in the most splendid prismatic packaging with whimsical illustrations that charm and delight. I am obsessed with Snowy Owl Tea, especially my favorite seasonal blend, Ginger Snapped, which is back for cozy season, and I am so excited and I plan on stocking up. It tastes like gingerbread and it is the best. This spooky season, Snowy Owl Tea is also offering goat, a toasted pumpkin and pumpkin seed tea featuring the world's cutest baby goat on the label, and Fancy AF, Fig Rose Oolong Tea, which stars puppies having a tea party. They are also currently offering peppermint bark tea for the holidays, and of course, they have their year-round blends like the delicious warm hearth tea with hibiscus and chai spices, and limited edition blends like their wonderfully witchy Midnight Moon, which is an Earl Grey with lavender and vanilla, and it is so good. So go on and order your scrumptious Snowy Owl Tea today at snowyowltea.com and be sure to use code WITCH for 10% off your order. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Open Coven. Okay, potential stitch witches, have you been wanting to learn how to stitch but don't know where to get started? Do you love embroidery but can't find kits available to match your aesthetic? Then check out Open Coven's embroidery kits. Each one is designed for beginner crafters, and they include a printed design, embroidery floss, a needle, an embroidery hoop, full instructions, and a stitch guide. They are super cool and super magical, inspired by the occult, social justice, and zine culture. These kits are far from traditional, and you will love them. 
And best of all, Which Wave listeners will receive 10% off their first order and a pass for a free live online class by using the code WHICHWAVE23. Open Coven's embroidery kits also make a great gift for the stitcher in your life. So go on ahead to OpenCoven.com for more details, and don't forget to use code WHICHWAVE23 for 10% off. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave. Hello and welcome to the Witch Wave. So here we are in November, and if you're in the US as I am, we're about to celebrate a holiday that I know many of us have complicated feelings about, to say the least. Because on the individual level, for those of us who gather with family or friends, this can be certainly a celebratory time of connection and gratitude. But it can also be a stressful time of travel or hosting or guesting, as the case may be. And look, relationships are not always smooth sailing. So I am just sending you lots of love, no matter how you're feeling about that aspect of this. And then, of course, from a national perspective, a historical perspective, The celebration of this holiday is extremely fraught because, as we know, while white European colonizers may have a lot to be grateful for, they stole this land from the indigenous folks who were living here and who still live here. And the pain of that and the harm that caused and that white supremacy still causes is all too real. And so if you are feeling any kind of complexity around the emotion of this holiday, for any of these reasons, just know that you're not alone in that and that there is good reason on all fronts to have those mixed feelings and to make space for them. Now, the day after Thanksgiving is celebrated as Native American Heritage Day, And while the creation of that holiday is certainly not enough in the way of reparations, just as the creation of Indigenous Peoples Day on so-called Columbus Day is not nearly enough when it comes to reparations, I do think that these are gestures in the right direction. And as I've mentioned before on this show, my way of trying to reconcile these different emotions and energies and histories is to, in my case, still celebrate Thanksgiving with my family and to be genuinely grateful for the blessings and abundance that we enjoy and to also be mindful of the Native Americans 
and the Native peoples around the world who still very much need support and nourishment and remembrance and reparations. And to that end, as I mention every year, I've been paying a monthly self-imposed land tax to honor the indigenous folks on whose land I live. In my case, that is the Lenape people. And so I have a monthly donation set up that goes to the Manahata Fund, which supports the American Indian Community House in New York City. And I encourage you all to find out which indigenous tribes originally lived on the land that you now occupy and to figure out a way to donate to or otherwise support that tribe or those tribes, even if they have relocated, which many of them had to. And if you don't know who those tribes might be, there's a really great map where you can type in your address and find out. And that map can be found at native-land.ca. That's native-land.ca. Now, today's guest is one of the most inspiring folks that I know, indigenous or otherwise, and that is Taino medicine woman, author, activist, and now publisher, Juliette Diaz. And I am absolutely overjoyed to welcome her back on the show nearly five years after her first appearance. Can it be called an appearance if it's on a podcast? Maybe we should just say in earance. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but you get the idea. And so much has changed for Juliet since she was last on the show. And as we discuss, she experienced an absolutely enormous spiritual breakthrough, which started as a breakdown. And even though Juliet and I come from different backgrounds and have different lived experiences, I relate to her in so many respects, not only because of the magical work and writing that we both do, but also because of the way in which we figured out we absolutely needed to do it. And she and I both experienced a real underworld journey, a real dark night of the soul, which in both of our cases lasted many nights and days. In my case, things came to a head in the year 2016, when I was a director at a big stock photography company and doing meaningful work, and also doing my witchery and writing and curating and such on the side. And my day job looked really shiny from the outside. I was making six figures. I was in the New York Times and O Magazine and on all these, you know, 40 under 40 lists in my industry and on the news talking about the photography initiatives I was overseeing to get more diverse representation of folks both in front of and behind the camera, which meant a lot to me. Don't get me wrong. But I was, you know, flying high, literally. I was being flown all over the world. I was presenting at places like Can Lions, which is essentially can for the advertising industry and going to villas and parties on yachts and doing business with the person who at the time was the second in command at Facebook. I'm talking about Sheryl Sandberg, if you know who that is. And meanwhile, my witchery was also getting louder and bolder and I was 
writing on my blog Phantasmophile, and I was co-running Observatory, this arts and event space where I was teaching witchcraft workshops and curating art shows, and those things were also getting attention and love and audience, and I was feeling so excited by doing that work. And I was proud of all of these accomplishments. It, it wasn't as simple as one was making me miserable and one was making me happy. It was more nuanced than that. There were good aspects of my day job. And there was so much I loved about my passion projects. But I was feeling so exhausted and so depressed and eventually so lost. And it wasn't just an overnight thing. The, the pressure and the shadow kept building and building and I just heard these messages that I needed to make a change and I didn't know what changes to make and I resisted it for a while and I tried to keep doing both of these things and then in late 2016 Matt and I went on this trip to Santa Fe just the two of us the land of enchantment as they call New Mexico and it was supposed to be a vacation it was supposed to be this replenishing trip where we went to hot springs and saw beautiful rock formations and ate delicious food. But rather than feeling relaxed when I was there, I went through an intense purge. I cried and cried every day on that trip. And I just really lamented about how I was feeling so stuck and so confused about which direction my life should go because I really wanted to fully commit to my magical work and writing and teaching full time, but then feeling like how the hell was I supposed to give up the salary and stability, in quotes, and security, in quotes, of my big sparkly day job? And also, who was I to even question this job that I knew most people would feel so lucky to have? I had, quote unquote, success, right? But deep in my soul, I knew that I had outgrown it and that it was no longer fulfilling me and certainly not sustaining me any longer. You know, this idea of stability and security that money is supposed to bring or our jobs are supposed to bring. I wasn't feeling very stable and secure in my soul, let me tell you. And it felt like I was reaching this final breaking point. And there were other things that led up to this. But that trip in particular, maybe because I finally had time and space to feel these feelings fully... And so I suddenly unleashed like so much fear and depression and darkness and so many tears. But this breakdown of a sort was necessary. It was a necessary step in getting me to pay attention to capital S spirit and listen to these messages. Because if I didn't, I know that they would have gotten louder and darker and that ignoring them would have been potentially more harmful to my health and well-being than they already were. Now, I've talked elsewhere about how I got myself out of that situation and now doing what I do full-time, though I'll tell you, I love what I'm doing. There's still constant growth and reshaping and readjustments, and, and that's a lifelong process. But I 
on the whole love my work and feel like I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing now. And even though it still comes with tension and conflict, I don't feel that urgency, that dark, shadowy plunge that I was experiencing when I was sort of resisting making these big changes that I needed to make. And without having the time to get into all the details here now of how I did finally get myself out of it and make these adjustments and get on this path, I will just say that it was a gradual process, but one of commitment to moving forward and trying new things and listening to spirit. And perhaps I'll talk more about all of that another time, but I'm bringing up this breakdown breakthrough here now today because Juliet experienced something similar. Although, as you'll hear, her sounds far more intense and harrowing and even higher stakes than mine was. And mine was no picnic, let me tell you. Now, I'm not suggesting that we all have to experience that level of intensity or suffering to grow, but the process of having a spiritual death and rebirth is something that can occur, and it can occur throughout our lives. And it doesn't always have to feel literally deadly and scary, and I hope so much for your sake that you don't have to go through that level of misery in order to be woken up enough to listen to the messages that you're receiving from spirit. But I do believe with every cell in my body that if you don't eventually listen to your inner truth and heed the call of spirit... That whatever discomfort you might be feeling, whatever stagnation you might be feeling, is going to get worse until you finally pay attention and make the changes that you are meant to. It doesn't have to be overnight, and it usually can't be. I didn't just up and quit my job one day. I had a whole process and a whole plan, and it took a lot of time and gradual change and adjustment. And not everyone is meant to or has the ability to change jobs or move or make some big overnight gear shift in one fell swoop. But just starting to take steps in the direction of your purpose, even one little step, will help you stay on the path that you're meant to be on. And I'll also add that in my case, I was simultaneously seeing a therapist throughout my breakdown breakthrough, and I still see a therapist, and that is massively helpful as well. But growth and evolution come with discomfort and agitation. That's part of the deal. I don't think we can avoid that, and I don't think we're supposed to. But with the support of magic, therapy, good relationships, in my case, my husband, Matt, who was and is beyond supportive of me, you will not only get through those dark times, you will be all the stronger for it. And eventually, you will make the changes that allow you to be more aligned with what you are meant to be doing. Anyhow, Juliet and I get into this and so much more on this absolute feast of an episode. But before we get to that, 
First, let's check and see what's come through on the witch wire. Who is it? Witches! Marta writes, I just want to start by thanking you for the wonderful work you're putting out into the world. I just recently found your podcast after following the trail of cosmic breadcrumbs and hearing your interview in the BBC Witch Podcast. Your podcast has been exactly the medicine my heart needed at this time. I'm a solitary green witch that mostly focuses on kitchen and home witching, and getting to dive deeper and learn from you and so many others has been such a gift to me. I'm especially grateful to hear from so many different voices on your show and how representation of folks from different backgrounds is a staple element of the show. I am part of a very colorful, multi-ethnic family, but the one branch that I've really struggled to find ancestral wisdom from is my Lebanese side. I've done a decent amount of research online with very little results. I'd so love to find some resources for Levantine herbalism or other folk magic practices, but it's hard to access information. I thought maybe you'd have some wisdom or resources that you might know of to share. I'm so connected with my ancestors on that side, but they were also very Christian, and I feel weird asking them for guidance towards things that, to my knowledge, don't sync with their beliefs. Any guidance you can offer would be so appreciated. Hi, Marta. Thank you so much for those beautiful and thoughtful words about the show. I'm so happy it resonates. I'm so happy you found it. And that's great that you heard about me through the BBC Witch podcast series. I loved being part of that series. I thought they did such a magnificent job. So welcome, welcome. Now, I'm going to be a little bit squirrely here and not answer some of your wonderful question just because Juliet, my guest, actually addresses this very topic of ancestral magic during our conversation. And so many folks are searching for ancestral wisdom, and I know it can feel overwhelming to start or even disheartening because there are often so many unknowns. I certainly found that at the beginning stages of my ancestral research journey, but I will say that new research, new writing, and new classes in folk magic, in indigenous herbalism, and so on of all different regions and backgrounds are coming up all the time. You know, this is very cutting edge, quote unquote, new research and new wisdom, new old wisdom that we are rediscovering. So I don't know, for example, the last time you even tried Googling Levantine folk magic or Levantine herbalism. But when I just did, my first hit was a class that was offered by Urban Cura in 2022. Urban Cura is a wonderful site. It's a wonderful place where they often have classes of indigenous herbalism and folk magic from all different peoples. I took this incredible one on Jewish ancestral magic by Dory Midnight, prior witch wave guest. That was through Urban Cura. So check them out, no matter what your background is. Uh, and that is spelled Urban, H-E-R-B-A-N, like herb, 
Urban Cura or Cura, C-U-R-A. Anyhow, so I was brought to Urban Cura when I was Googling Levantine herbalism, and a class came up in exactly this topic. And so you might want to email them and see that even though this class took place in 2022, maybe you can still pay for the recording. Or you can even just see what the teacher is up to now. It looks like her name is Layla Christie Fegali. I am so sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. Her website is River Rose Remembrance. And when I go to her site, it tells me that she has a book out now called The Land in Our Bones, Plant Cestral Herbalism and Healing Cultures from Syria to the Sinai. Now, I obviously can't vouch for her or for her class or for her book myself because this is all the results of a three-minute Googling rabbit hole that I just went down, but it all sounds very intriguing and promising to me, so I encourage you to check all that out and also to just do another round of research and see what may have come up even in the last couple months or the last couple years because new stuff is being written and offered all the time. And I also want to quickly address your comment about your hesitancy to connect with your Christian ancestors and just gently and lovingly remind you that Christianity is a relatively young religion when we consider the 200,000 or so years that humanity has existed. Christianity is only roughly 2,000-ish years old, right? And so if you don't feel comfortable asking your more recent Christian practicing ancestors for guidance, just ask your older ones. Ask the ones who were indigenous to your family's region or regions, the pre-Christian ones. And I understand that you most likely don't know the names of those pre-Christian ancestors, and that is okay. You can still set an intention of connecting with them anyway via symbols and foods and plants and images that represent them. Setting up an ancestor altar might be a lovely place to start, and simply asking those ancestors to guide you in this direction will no doubt prove helpful. But I also feel compelled to say that maybe don't count out the more recent Christian ancestors either, because you don't necessarily know what their relationship was to their religion. And there are plenty of magical, loving, awesome Christian folks out there who are open-minded. So feel free to invite in those ancestors, those benevolent ancestors, those helpful, open-minded ancestors whose names you might know. Because I promise you, they most likely have a vested interest in keeping the ancestral line bright and clear, too. I hope all of that helps, and I am sending you heaps of magic and support on your search. Now, on to my guest. Juliet Diaz is an indigenous Taino Cubana from a long line of brew hexes and spiritualists. She is a Bejique, which is a medicine woman and keeper of her tribe, and she is also a spiritual and literary activist, 
an award-winning writer, and a remarkable seven-time best-selling author with her works being translated into 12 languages. Her literary contributions include the books Witchery, Plant Witchery, and her most recent, The Altar Within, as well as the Seasons of the Witch Oracle Deck series, the Earthcraft Oracle Deck, and the Little Cauldron Academy Children's Book series, which will be releasing in 2024. Juliet is also the publisher at Spirit Bound Press and Little Cauldron, where she challenges existing narratives and promotes the importance of diverse and inclusive books, especially in the field of spirituality and magic. She is also actively involved with the Indigenous Peoples Movement, a global coalition bringing awareness to issues affecting Indigenous peoples and the planet. Juliet's mission is to help thousands of people worldwide heal, spiritually grow, decolonize their practice, amplify their magic, and connect to their truth and ancestors. I so admire all of the ways that Juliet shows up in the world to help people become more nourished, more aligned, and more compassionate. And I'm so thrilled to have her back on the show. Juliet joined me from her home in New Jersey via Zoom. Juliet Diaz, welcome to the Witch Wave. I am so excited. It's been forever, Pam. I adore you in the show. So thank you for having me. I am so happy to have you back. I should have said welcome back to the Witch Wave because <laughs> you were here pretty early on, almost five years ago now. And my goodness, so much has changed both in the world, but also in your own life. So I am so thrilled to get the opportunity to check in with you again. I'm excited. And yeah, I cannot believe how much has changed. <laughs> yes. Well, let's leave all of the global change aside and give people a brief pause from all of what's been going on over the last five years and just focus on you, though I'm sure they are interrelated in some way. Because since we last spoke, you had a really big awakening. You actually write in your most recent book, in December of 2020, I died and came back a completely different person. Whoa, Juliet. Yeah. <laughs> and of, of course, I'm quoting from your beautiful book, The Altar Within. So what happened in December of 2020? I actually literally died. So I want to keep the details hidden, but sure. I did pass. That year was really hard for everyone. I lived still back where I grew up in Hudson County. The entire year was witnessing, you know, people passing because of COVID and our neighborhood stores and businesses closing down, people going through hardships. It was pretty intense while still trying to keep my business going and trying to keep my family protected. Mm. I think that all that stress on top of doing extreme practice my spiritual practice really amplified that year. 
I'm noting that because it does have something to do with what happened after. I thought that my practice at the time was truly nourishing me. I was doing the affirmations and the positive thinking and keeping my high vibes and doing all those things while bypassing, you know, those hard emotions. And what ended up happening is it really stressed my heart. Mm. It was really overwhelming for my nervous system. I have lupus. So with that came a lot of flares Mm. that amplified what happened in December. Okay. And let me just add a little bit of context for listeners. At this point in your life, you were, from an outsider's perspective anyhow, incredibly successful, lots of best-selling books, lots of media coverage, making what seems to be like a really great living, doing one-on-one consultancies for people. I mean, you are such a prolific writer and guide and witch, not to mention all of your involvement in the indigenous community, which we'll absolutely talk about in a little bit. So it seemed, certainly from my perspective, you know, as someone who's a fan and admirer of yours but doesn't know you super well, it seemed like you were on top of the world at this point. But are you telling me it didn't quite feel that way? I think that that's what, not just what it looked like from the outside, but how I also perceived it. And it was more of internal things that I wasn't really addressing. I'm a very spiritual person. My practice means everything to me. Spirituality is my lifestyle, but there was an element to it that was causing a lot of harm. And I didn't realize it until the events that happened. And when I came back and just had this awakening as to what was causing these negative influences and impacts in my practice and in my life, I was very comfortable. I was very successful. I'm still very successful in a different way now. But I think that I got lost on that train ride and I just stayed on there and it ended up just stopping and I had nowhere else to go until spirit, for sure, this was spirit led, had to stop me on my tracks and help me reevaluate where it was that I was going and how I was going to utilize my power and impact for the future generations. Mm. And without going into detail of the actual event, because I understand that's private, once you sort of came to or were reborn or however you want to frame it, what are some of the realizations that you had? It sounds like how you were working wasn't sustainable, but what were some of the takeaways or messages that you received? Yeah, so that was really important for me to reflect on, and that's how the Ultra Within came about. It wasn't right away. It took me a few months for me to ground myself to come back to reality. I'm a seer. And I have visions and I'm really connected to the other side. So I think that part of that added to the impact of my near-death experience. Coming back, I didn't recognize myself. I looked at myself in the mirror and I couldn't recognize who that person was. I looked at my life and I couldn't recognize my life. I looked at everything that I was doing, where I was putting my energy, who I was collaborating with. I had extended myself so thin. My energy was everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I was doing so, so, so much. And not that that's a bad thing, but when you extend yourself so much that you don't leave space for your truth and your purpose or energy for yourself, it really does a lot of damage. And instead of helping you evolve and expand spiritually and in that spiritual wellness space, it does take a toll instead. I work against that. The takeaways after the months of me literally losing my mind, I'm very honest about it. 
I wasn't myself. I didn't want to see or speak to anyone. I was off social media. I think it was about eight months. Mm -hmm. I lost a lot of following. It was like half of what I had. I think I was at 100K or something before that. I closed down my shop, November Sage, which was really successful. I just started to eliminate things from my life that no longer felt aligned to who I truly was. What happens is in life, you start creating and building a life for yourself, especially if you're building a career and you become this person to the outside world. And then you feel this obligation to stay this person to the outside world. Yes. Whatever they thought about me, whoever they thought I was, I was taking that on as a responsibility to continue to be that person. And that is not healthy because as human beings, we evolve and we change and we shift. And we're supposed to allow that flow to continue and to happen and allow those shifts to happen within our businesses as well. So that what you're doing still aligns with you and still feels good to you. Coming back, I'm being this character, this person that my publisher at the time wanted me to be, that my community thought I was because it's what I was showing them. I didn't show any other side of me. So I eliminated everything from my life and started from scratch. Literally, it was the most scariest thing I've ever done, dismantling a life where I was comfortable, successful, and really trusting in spirit that doing this and connecting back to my truth and starting fresh was going to get me to a place of a life that I couldn't even dream of. Mm. A life that was more purposeful, more intentional, and more aligned with me. One that I can truly make an impact still, but also make an impact in my life as well and nourish me in all ways. So that's kind of how it went down. <laughs> First of all, I just want to respond and say so many of the things that you experienced, I can certainly relate to some of those feelings of still wanting to grow and change. And there's sometimes anxiety around that when the way you are making your living is directly tied, especially in this capitalist society, to your audience and to the output that you've been making thus far. So I totally can imagine you being this incredibly public, incredibly successful witch and writer and all of the other amazing roles that you hold and feeling like, I want to change, but oh my goodness, this is my livelihood. That must have felt really, really scary. Was it the financial piece that was the most stressful to you? Honestly, no. That was the second. The first one was losing who I thought I was. Mm. And those words might not relate to a lot of people, but I think when you're in that space and knowing that you have to let go of the person you've been holding on to, I went through so much mourning. I went through a literal funeral for myself. And on top of mourning and letting those pieces of me and my life go, I had to give them thanks and gratitude and show myself some self-compassion and know that that person wasn't here for no reason. That person got me to where I am now. And with that, rebuilding myself from that essence, that seed of my spirit that put me here in the first place and not be afraid of rebuilding myself. And that old self of mine, and still am, was a super badass and understood that spirit leads. And when you lead with spirit, you're leading with purpose and intention and your ancestors. So having that faith is what really helped me drive and rebuild my entire life. Mm. Gorgeous. Now, this led you to writing your third book, which you call Your Most Important. This is The Altar Within, A Radical Devotional Guide to Liberate the Divine Self. 
And in this book, you not only speak about this huge transformation, I'll call it this resurrection that you experienced, but you also talk about then how you have moved forward and some of the positive messages you got around how you can better show up in the world and show up as a vehicle that spirit can work through and with. So let's talk about this beautiful book. When you are discussing it with folks, how do you like to describe it? What are the words you like to use when you're telling people why you wrote this book and what you hope they'll get out of it? Awesome. I love this question because I'm actually going through editing processes to kind of update some of the language and put like a little extra language on the cover so it can really reflect off of what the book is. Mm. You know, as writers, when we put a book out, we want to like change a million things. Uh, (laughs) Yes, my friend. Yes. But I think for this specific book, because it's having such an impact in people's lives and it is causing a lot of resistance in a lot of other people's lives, I want to make sure that I adjust it so that it reflects the feedback that I'm getting from other folks, because that to me really means a lot. This book I created because I feel a lot of us do go through these shifts. We do have these awakenings. We do have these inklings and feelings that we need to do something different, that we want to change, we want to shift, but we're either scared or it's not accessible to us, right? A lot of people don't have the privilege to just stop what they're doing and shift their business when they're in need of having to survive off of that income. So I'm very aware of that coming from a place of someone who didn't have anything. Mm -hmm. So in this book, I make it in an accessible way. And these are lessons that I learned through connecting through those months of me losing my mind. When I came back, I truly thought I wasn't alive. I thought I wasn't here present. Mm -hmm. My husband, my children, the elders from my community, from my tribe, they would come to me often on a weekly basis and try to remind me that I'm here, Mm. that what I feel, what was lost, that what wasn't here anymore, what I had to let go of in order for my true self to be present. So in this book, I approach spirituality and wellness in a different way. It decolonizes spirituality and wellness. On top of decolonizing spirituality and wellness, it's accessible. So instead of me including like all these tools and all these things that you might have to purchase or get for yourself, I'm using the altar of who you are as a person, your own self for you to make these transformations, these choices and go through the introspection. This book really is like a mirror. It just puts everything in perspective in front of your face so that you in your own time can reflect on what is being reflected back to you. And the powerful part about this book is that what is being reflected in this mirror is not me, is not what I'm telling you. I am guiding you to do this on your own. It's full of prompts. It's full of questions. It's full of stories that help you connect to your own self with your own experiences so that you can go ahead and reflect back like I did and my journey to getting to where I am now. Mm, I love how you put that. You write a lot about the notion of self-worship. These are your words, self-worship. And I love this idea so much in theory, but I also want to make sure for listeners and readers to differentiate between like self-worship and self-obsession So how do you differentiate self-worship from narcissism and ego tripping? Yes, it's interesting because 
in this society, they would have you thinking that self-worship is something negative, especially with religion and the spiritual practices and beliefs. Anything that has to do with connecting to yourself, putting yourself first, and really leading with yourself, self-care, self-compassion, self-forgiveness, all those things that I listed in that book about self-worship. And I was there. I was there before. And that 2020, I was there where I thought the same thing. Self-worship is such a powerful word. But when I came back and when I was in that state, I spoke to many of my family members and many entities that I did not know. I guess maybe I know them in another lifetime, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. they were there, my spiritual team and guidance. It's a whole thing. Maybe one day I'll write about it. (laughs) I would love that. I'm still feeling and processing everything. Yeah. When I was there, I understood that if we truly want to connect to the weave of everything and all things, we must look to ourselves because we hold all those things within us. We hold our ancestors. We hold ancestral knowledge and wisdom. We hold the universe. We hold spirit. And if you're not worshiping yourself, taking care of yourself, putting yourself first, then you're not truly connecting to all of those things. Mm. Today, they would have you look outside of yourself, look for knowledge outside of yourself, look for connection outside of yourself, using yourself and working with yourself to connect to yourself, create a powerful relationship with yourself. And in doing so, you're creating a powerful relationship with God, spirit, your ancestors, and the divine. This reminds me of that alchemical adage, as above, so below, this idea that we are a microcosm that is a reflection of the macrocosm. You know what I mean? Yes, that's so powerful. And in the book, I do explain that this is not a pass for you to be an ass (laughs) to other people, (laughs) you know? The way that I approach it is more that when you self-worship and you're taking care of yourself by healing yourself, you're learning how to have self-compassion, self-love, all of those things, then you're able to reflect it out into the world, out into community, out into other people. People are always perplexed when I'm telling like my followers or my community, I love you in the comments. I truly do fucking love them. Mm-hmm. I do. And you know why? Because I love myself. I've learned that loving myself gives me space to have an abundance of love for other people, even if I don't really know them. I know them through spirit, and that is what drives the love that lives within me. Gorgeous. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. I'm so excited to share that from author and prior Witchwave guest, Benabel Wen, comes I Ching, the Oracle, a historic new translation of the I Ching that brings the power and mysticism of the Book of Changes to contemporary readers. Through in-depth annotations, cultural and historical references, and magical practices, Wen amplifies the wisdom of the 3,000-year-old text. She includes aspects of the I Ching that have never before been translated into English and offers a critical analysis of earlier I Ching transmissions. Readers will learn how to situate the I Ching within its historical and cultural context, interpret the hexagrams, utilize various divination methods, and so much more. I can't wait to read this book myself. So whether you're new to the I Ching or an experienced occultist, 
I Ching, the oracle, will deepen your understanding of esoteric Taoism and the art and craft of divination. It's available now wherever books are sold. But if you head over to www.northatlanticbooks.com and use code WITCHWAVE25 at checkout now through January 31st, 2024, you will get 25% off of I Ching the Oracle plus free shipping. This offer is limited to recipients within U.S.-based mailing addresses only. So go on ahead to NorthAtlanticBooks.com and order your copy of Benabel Wen's I Ching the Oracle using code WitchWave25. The WitchWave is sponsored by BetterHelp. So we've turned the clocks back, which means it's getting darker earlier. And as much as I love the shadowy and spooky aspects of this time of year, I also sometimes feel a little bit blue and a little bit stressed. And sometimes seasonal anxiety sets in for me. You know, there's not as much sunlight. You're not getting as much vitamin D. And on top of that, we're going right into Thanksgiving and all of the winter holidays. And it can just sometimes feel like a lot for me, all of the planning and trying to keep on top of everything. And this is really normal. I know a lot of people experience this. But something that's helped me is first of all embracing the shadow side of the season and the magic of it to really embrace that feeling of turning inward, cocooning, and doing all of our witchcraft around the darker half of the year. Not to mention lighting our candles and keeping it cozy. But I have another bright spot in my life which really helps me at this time of year, and that is therapy. I've said it so many times, if I could give everyone on earth therapy, I would. It helps me so much, especially during times of year when I am feeling overwhelmed or stressed or anxious. Therapy gives me the tools to help make me feel grounded and to help manage everything that's going on. It also helps me develop certain self-care techniques and skills to make sure that I have that real centering, that real anchoring. So no matter what stress or even sadness starts swirling at this time of year, I know that I have this space where I can talk it through with somebody that I trust. And even though I can't wave my magic wand and give therapy to everyone on earth, Lucky for us, technology helps make it more accessible, especially thanks to BetterHelp. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. And all you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. And if you visit betterhelp.com slash witchwave, you will get 10% off your first month of online counseling. That's betterhelp, spelled H-E-L-P, dot com slash witchwave. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Juliet Diaz. 
So, Juliet, we're talking about your beautiful book, The Altar Within, A Radical Devotional Guide to Liberate the Divine Self, though I understand that title might change a little bit when it is published again. But I want to dig a little deeper in this idea of decolonizing one's spiritual practice. Decolonization is something that folks are talking about with more frequency, which I think is a wonderful thing. But I would love for you to break down what you mean by decolonization, particularly when it comes to someone's magical or spiritual practice. Absolutely. So decolonizing can look very different in different aspects of your life, particularly with spirituality and magic. When you decolonize that, what you're doing is you're taking aspects out of your practice and your beliefs that don't truly belong to you or align with you. We have been embedded with all this information, all these books, all this knowledge that we've had access to for many years. And a lot of that information in those books have knowledge and practices that truly don't even belong or align to our own cultures, our own ancestry, or even align to our own belief systems. So because we feel that we want to be spiritual and we want to be witches and brujas and spiritualists, we follow what is there available to us. For me, decolonizing is understanding that you do not have to follow a certain way. You go back to your roots. You go back to your ancestry. And if you don't have connection to ancestry, you go back to the land that you are from. If you don't even know that information, you go back to where you are present currently on the land that you are. Mm. Connecting with yourself is the most powerful act of spirituality. It's a revolution. It's a place where you can create a practice for yourself and beliefs for yourself that nourish all parts of you and that make sense to you. So it's not to say, for instance, I'm indigenous Taino from Cuba, right? Mm-hmm. I would never tell my family, especially from my father's side, that's where my African ancestry comes from. And they practice Santeria, for instance. Decolonizing for them might seem like, okay, but then you're going to take away the culture of our practices, the survival methods of how we built this practice in the first way. That's not it at all. What it is, is understanding exactly what you're doing, why you're doing it, where it comes from. And if it's something that's sustainable and actually empowering to you in your practice. So not cultural appropriating, number one. Mm -hmm. Two, finding ways to adjust what you're doing so that it seems authentic. Because when you don't have a practice that feels authentic to you, are you truly practicing? Are you truly manifesting? For me, when you manifest, for me, when you create or weave with magic, it has to come from an authentic place within you. And when you decolonize your practice and spirituality, you're allowing yourself to see what aspects of your practices and beliefs do not come from that source of truth so that it can amplify your magical, your magical, (laughs) your magic. (laughs) Yes, yes. So I'm of the belief that there are different levels of cultural appropriation, and certainly none of it is okay, but I do think some of it is willfully about theft and stealing and profiting off of people and exploiting them and not crediting people and all of that. I think there's also like a lower level of it, by which I mean one that's ignorant. Yeah. That white folks especially sometimes take part in cultural appropriation without really realizing it before they're educated about what it is and why it's wrong. But I think that a lot of white folks in particular do it is because 
they are cut off from their own lineage or their own spiritual practices that were through their family line. Or maybe they have no idea, like you said earlier, who their family even was. And so they're looking to fill this void by borrowing from these other places. And so part of me has sympathy for that urge of searching. And yet I do think that there is now this new age, and thanks largely in part to teachers like yourself, people realizing, oh, wait a second, even if my intentions were not malevolent, there can still be harm that I am doing. So let me do better. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It was one of the first times that we spoke on cultural appropriation on the first episode that we spoke on together. Mm -hmm. And I know that made a big blast or wave through the community of people like, wow, they actually talked about it. Mm -hmm. So what I can say is this, through the years since we last spoke and being here and representing my Taino people and bringing back our authentic culture practices, even language. I can tell you that it's not just white folks, it's everybody. Mm -hmm. Even indigenous people, because we've gone through colonization and erasure, a lot of our own practices and our stories and our histories and our spirituality was taken from us. Sure. All people, we come to a place where we access what we have at hand. And sometimes we don't look deeper into what those things are. And I also have sympathy and compassion for people who want to connect to a spirituality or to a practice and just don't know how to do it because they don't know their own roots in their cultures. So the way I address it in this book as well is finding a place where you start to really dissect everything that you're doing in your spiritual practice from the herbs and the plants that you use to the motions and the language that you also utilize to the beliefs and faiths that you are also believing and holding within you. Really look into all those aspects. And I have really great questions in there like, where did it stem from? Where did it root from? Where does it come from? So that we can start doing the research on the things that we do and understand where they come from, because something always comes from somewhere. And then if we want to get to the point where, say, there's a person who absolutely has no way of finding out who their ancestors are, who has no idea where their land is or where their culture is or doesn't have access to that. There is a common innate gift that we all hold as human beings, and that is the earth. Mm -hmm. And the earth belongs to all of us, or we belong to the earth, right? All of us. Yeah. So if you want to get to a point where you're like, okay, but I really don't know what to do because everything's, you know, from a different culture or something like that, do your research because you'll be surprised at how many things aren't closed. That's number one. And there are gazillion plants, herbs, and spirit allies that are there available to you because we are magical beings of this earth. So looking to the land that you're on, looking at the plant allies around you, working with herbs and creating your own practice is what I always suggest to people. How yes. fun. I think that creating your own practice, just like creating your own spells and doing your own magical workings, that's part of the fun of magic. That's part of the power of magic empowering yourself to trust yourself that you're able to create something for yourself and utilizing tools and utilizing the earth as your compass, as your spiritual ally. And I think that's like the best way to approach it. Absolutely. You should see, I have so many notes from this book. We're unfortunately not going to be able to get to all of them, but a lot of it are just these beautiful quotes in terms of phrases that you wrote. So let me throw another quote at you. You write, 
I'm concerned that luxury rather than liberation has become the gold standard of manifestation. And when I read those words, I was like, yes, 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 exactly. And I know it's tricky because, listen, I like shiny, beautiful things too. And I love potions and lotions and all the things. I am not above spending money and shelling out for some like nice incense or whatever. And yet I do think in the spirituality and wellness community, there are so many people who have appropriated like the language and the ingredients and the rituals of certain practices and are doing it pretty much, let's just be honest, to make a shit ton of money, right? And so what is your thinking today about how manifestation can be a source of liberation rather than just this signal of luxury or consumption? Uh, This is very complex, but it's my favorite subject. I'm first generation parents to immigrants, not just immigrants from anywhere, but Cuba, Mm -hmm. a place where, you know, there was a lot of restriction and a lot happened to our people there and still happening. I was in my mom's belly while she was coming across the ocean to this country. So even being in Hudson County, where I grew up and seeing firsthand how our communities there, marginalized community, people of color didn't have much, yet we were the most spiritual people I've ever known in my life till this day. Mm -hmm. So coming up on social media and these modern times where you have to have all these tools and you have to have like this positive attitude, law of attraction, and you can only manifest if you're aligned to what it is that you're calling, yet you're leaving out people like me who grew up with fucking nothing. And I've manifested my entire life up until this point. So what you're telling me does not make sense to me or the people from my communities because you can have nothing and still access the power of manifestation within you. I go back to that truth within yourself. If you have an authentic feeling, intention, need, want, and desire, and it's aligned to your truth and your purpose, it will happen. You don't need the fancy tools. You don't need even a candle. Those things are powerful because they're allies, right? I call them all allies. All the tools like candles, herbs, plants, all of them are there to assist and amplify. But you can absolutely access the power of manifestation just within yourself and the power of thought, feeling, and emotion. And that's something that's really left out of the community when we're talking about manifesting and bringing our desires to life. All we need to have is a relationship with ourselves that is healed and that is honest and trustworthy. Absolutely. And tell me if there is a listener right now who is really strapped for cash and is really feeling as though they can't afford even the candle or the beautiful altar cloth or whatever, is there a simple practice that you might recommend to somebody that is free? Yes. Healing. I know everyone's going to hate that. Healing is the key. Shadow work, inner child work, reflection, introspection, utilizing yourself as a vessel of power. In order for you to utilize that power, there has to be a clearing, a flow. And in order for you to make that space for that flow that comes through the divine and through magic, you have to clear out what does not serve you any longer. For instance, I, for a really long time, had a really bad relationship with money, even when I was making a lot of money and manifesting it like a boss. 
it would go away just as fast as it would come in. Mm. And even if I was putting it into places that had an impact and supported other people, I was still leaving myself with scarcity. I wasn't really holding on to it. And I had to really look into that and ask myself, what is my relationship with money? Where is this pattern coming from? So sometimes when manifestation is not working for you or your spiritual workings are not working for you, you have to look to yourself to see where those blockages are that are causing the energy of these things that coming to life. For people who don't have access or don't have the funds to buy those things, look to yourselves and the earth again. Even if you live in a city, I grew up in, you know, Union City. It's not like New York City. You know, we still had parks and things like that. So if you can access the earth wherever you are, I believe that is your powerful source in creating a space for your practice and working with the energies of the earth. You can ground, you can amplify, and you can center yourself there. Always look to the elements as well. And you can create that in your home. Water, fire. You know, my mom, the fire element, she would use the stove. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where we got our fire from. And I remember her with her eggs and her eggshells. She would pass them over the stove to use that fire when we didn't have candles and then use that for cleansing. Even with water. I remember my mom telling me one time, she's like, even the toilet has water, Miha. Yes. Even the toilet, the water that you use to wash yourself with. Like Now that's become part of my spiritual practice is acknowledging even when I shower that that's, you know, the water spirit there with me, it's sacred. So it's more of really looking to the sources that originally were here for us as humans and the earth and looking to that and the elements to create a practice for you that's sustainable and accessible. Absolutely. Now, you talked about shadow work, and earlier I talked about how you and I are good with shadow as much as we are with light. I want to talk about spiritual bypassing. It's come up before on the show. I don't know that you and I talked about it, but it's definitely come up in prior conversations. But let's dive a little bit deeper with it. What does that phrase spiritual bypassing mean to you? And why is it important that we resist it in the magical community and just in general? Yes. So that's a big part of the message in my book is spiritually bypassing. That is what got me into trouble in 2020. When things got really hard, I started to bypass reality by trying to keep myself uplifted and have all these positive affirmations, doing, you know, the light and love work and like really ignoring my heart emotions and really ignoring the fear that I was feeling and really ignoring how uncomfortable I was in a situation that I had no control over. I'm a mom, I have children, and I had to really go into a place within myself that hid these fears so I can show for my children and myself in a way that seemed like it was doing a positive impact. Spiritually bypassing, after I came back, I realized that that's one of the main things that harmed me and caused all that stress to begin with all those months <laughs> from mm -hmm. me trying to like stay positive. We are taught even going back to manifesting, you have to stay positive. You have to have high frequency, good energy, good vibes in order for you to produce or manifest something into your life that you want and desire. And this is a really toxic message, especially to people of color, because not all of us have that luxury or that privilege to have a life where problems or issues don't exist, where we don't have physical ailments, mental health issues, you know, mm -hmm. everyone is different. Mm -hmm. So to have this belief system out there 
where it's excluding the majority of people in real life, it was causing a lot of harm and it's still causing a lot of harm. So for me, when I approach spiritual bypassing, it's to not turn away from reality. Your spiritual practice should be the solve to the issues happening in your life and the hardships happening in your life, especially in reality. Your spiritual practice is a tool. It's there for you in times like the times that we're going through right now so that it can nourish you and aid in your support in all ways while you're still present and mindful of what's happening around the world and how it's impacting and affecting all people and how you can show up better for yourself. Mm -hmm. Because if you spiritually bypass, you're not showing up for yourself. You truly aren't. You're creating this illusion, this delusion of a perfect life, of a life that's not affected by anything. And that might be true for a lot of people, but it's not true for all people. So spiritually bypassing is avoiding real life and putting yourself in this space where you think that you do not exist with everybody else in that world. And that's just not true. When you stop spiritually bypassing, what you do is you go through those hard emotions and face them instead of around them. When you do that, you come out more stronger and more powerful person on the other side. And then you're better able to reflect and see how you can better show up for yourself and show up for your community. With spiritually bypassing, there's no way that you can show up for community. There's no way that you can say that you're for all people when you're ignoring the real harsh truths of what's happening in society. Yes, you said it. That exactly. And on that wonderful note, we're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back. So I was just introduced to a truly splendid new tarot deck called the Meta Muse Tarot. And I absolutely love its gorgeous retro collage artwork, which modernizes the arcana without losing its meaningful symbolism. The images are so beautiful and fantastical, which you know I love, but also really elegant and diverse. And the whole deck just feels incredibly special with gold gilt edges. And it also comes in a collectible two-piece hardcover box. And it has a 168-page guidebook. So the whole experience is just super deluxe. The Metamuse Tarot is ideal for beginners as well as experienced readers because it follows the traditional Rider-Waite-Smith imagery, but what makes this deck unique is that in addition to its stunning artwork, there are many correspondences included in each card. Now, as you might know, each card in the tarot also has astrological, elemental, and even Kabbalistic associations. And this deck has all of that included in the artwork and in the guidebook. Because exploring all of those associations and symbols adds so much more depth and magic to a tarot reading. Now, customers absolutely love the Metamuse Tarot and have given many five-star reviews over on Etsy and Shopify. So get your copy of the Metamuse Tarot today over at shopthemetamuse.com. That's shop, T-H-E, 
M-E-T-A-M-U-S-E dot com. And be sure to use the code WHICHWAVE for 25% off. That's 25% off the MetaMuse Tarot using code WHICHWAVE. This season of The Witch Wave is brought to you in part by Sphere and Sundry, an astro-magical atelier where you can get expertly elected materia magica, oils, incense, bath salts, salves, inks, beauty oils, and more, which have been ritually crafted during rare, powerful, and benefic astrological configurations. And oh my word, I can tell you firsthand, this is the stuff. These formulas are chosen in accord with the strict requirements of the talismanic tradition outlined in the Picatrix and other ancient grimoires, meaning you can benefit from the power of amazing astrological transits, even when the stars haven't aligned. These are incredible tools for witches who are looking to embrace the manifestations and results of their spell work, especially the Luna in Cancer series. And I myself have the Luna in Cancer incense, and it is a dream to use for any kind of lunar magic. Venus Materia can be used for love, glamour, and attraction. Regulus for fame and recognition, Asclepius for healing and transformation, and Deneb Algedi for protection. I also used several of Sphere and Sundry's magical products on site in Greece during our group rituals, and they were so potent and so exquisite. I can't say enough good things about them. Since 2018, Sphere and Sundry have been a key driver in the rising tide of popularity and interest in astrological magic, amassing over 5,000 five-star reviews and field reports on their website. Most orders ship within one business day, and Sphere and Sundry is also well known for their incredible customer service as they are their magical results, and I can attest to that as well. Learn more and get $10 off your first order at spheerandsundry.com using the code WHICHWAVE. That's spheerandsundry.com, S-P-H-E-R-E-A-N-D-S-U-N-D-R-Y.com and use code WHICHWAVE for $10 off your first order. Would you like even more WHICHWAVE? Do you wish that you could hear from me and my other magical guests on a weekly basis? And what about doing monthly rituals with yours truly? Then come join me over on Patreon, where you'll get bi-weekly bonus Witch Wave Plus episodes, ad-free Witch Wave episodes, and detailed show notes for all. I also lead a monthly online magical workshop, which you can attend live or watch the recording of at your convenience. Rewards for some tiers also include magical merch and contests where you can win witchly prizes each month, as well as early heads up about my other workshops before they sell out. And you can even sign up for the opportunity to work with me one-on-one. -on -one. 
and all backers get access to our exclusive digital coven where you can connect to a community of other wonderful Witch Wave witches around the world. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to patreon.com slash witchwave now and sign up. It's a magnificent way to get more magic in your life and to support the show. Thanks so much. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Juliet Diaz. So, Juliet, you were talking about the importance of making sure that we keep our personal magical practice connected to community. You use this beautiful term in the book. You call yourself a spiritual activist. And I know that so much of the work you do is about showing up for your community. And it feels like a lot of the reason that it's important for us to nourish ourselves, to care for ourselves, to worship ourselves, to use your words, is so we then have the energy and the resolve, the fortitude to be able to support others. Yes, 100%. And so much of your own ancestry as a Taino woman and healer is central to your work. You introduced me to this beautiful new-to-me phrase, please correct my pronunciation, that you are a Bejique? Yes, Bejique. Very good. All right. (laughs) You got it. Which is a medicine woman and a keeper of your tribe. So why don't we start by talking about this role you have as a Bejique? How is that role something that you have stepped into and how does that service your community? So I was honored the position of being a Bahike, like you said, medicine woman and protector of our medicine and practices. There are a few of us in Hiwayagua. Hiwayagua is the tribe that I belong to. And with that position and learning from my elders, the messages that they keep instilling within us is community means everything. There is no point in doing what you're doing if it doesn't serve the community. For instance, if we have a business that's supposed to be for healing, that's for magical purposes with a magical shop, for instance, or a spiritual shop, if your focus is on just income and bringing in money, what's the point of what you're doing? There has to be a purpose aside from bringing in income that relates and aligns to the product or the service that you're giving. If you don't have that clarified, then why are you even doing what you're doing? It just comes down to you utilizing capitalism for gains. Mm -hmm. I had to really look at myself and my work and what I was doing and ask myself that hard question. And when I became the Bejica and they honored me with that, I really took it to spirit. And I did a lot of inner work with this. And I sat with this for a really long time. And that was a really big part of how I rebuilt my life after my near-death experience is what you're doing serving you. And if it's serving you, is it serving your community? I would not be here even back then. None of my success would have been there if it wasn't for community. Mm. When you start something, when you start a business, when you start a podcast, when you start anything, I want to do this for the people. I want to bring this to the people. I want to amplify this message or these people so that it's on my platform and it can reach others. So there always has to be that aspect into whatever it is that you do. For me as a Bejique, 
as a bruja and as an, a spiritual activist, it's really important to put community right where I am and ego parts because it all comes together and all collectively makes sense and aligns into the purpose and the impact that you're trying to make. If we don't have community, we don't have anything. We just have ourselves and we just have something that we're trying to bring an income through. And it doesn't really seem genuine and it doesn't have this purpose to it. Absolutely. And listen, I'm very mindful of the fact we discussed this beforehand, that this episode is coming out the same week as U.S. Thanksgiving and then Native American Heritage Day. And so I would love to hear you speak about the Indigenous Peoples Movement and your involvement in that and perhaps how folks listening can support if appropriate. Yes. So Indigenous Peoples Movement, I've been working with them. I'm part of the coalition for many years now. We do it for free. We do it because we're passionate. We're all activists. We're from all over the world. I've learned so much about indigenous people all over the world, even Russia and the Ukraine, like all of these things that being informed on comes from the indigenous people themselves. I'm really grateful and it's a privilege to be part of this because I've learned so much and I've been able to educate other people because of this. What we do is we highlight and amplify indigenous voices all over the world. And we highlight and amplify their struggles and what they're going through and what help that is needed, especially with colonization, especially with oppression and with rights being taken away or rights being violated. So Mm -hmm. that's one of the main focuses. The other part to it is protecting and giving a voice to the earth making sure that people understand that, for instance, global warming is really real. You know, a lot of people still think it's not real. (laughs) So it just baffles my mind. But Mm -hmm. we're here to be a voice for the earth as well. And that's something that we're actually going to start to pick up on that page. There's a website and there's now going to be an editorial and we're going to have columns in there so that people who want to join in and want to support can look at the different categories that we have, call to actions and ways to join in so that you can feel aligned with what it is that you're supporting. So anything from making sure that we're there for those people who need us to show up to taking action on how we can support and heal and protect this earth. I love that so much, Juliet. Let's talk about Spirit Bound Press. In addition to your own books and your own oracle decks. You have started this new publishing company. And for me, this feels like you bringing everything full circle, where, as I often say, you're practicing what you priestess. I'm still a writer. I'm still someone who's involved in the publishing community. But let me put my money and my spirit where my mouth is and let me try to use my platform and my power to amplify other voices. So what is the mission, in your own words, of Spirit Bound Press? Uh, I love how you said it because it's exactly that. I struggled for so many years. I'm 42 now. Mm-hmm. Am I Same. <laughs> Same. Oh, 42. Yay. Yay. Power ages. Yes, yes, yes. I had my energy and my arms and legs and just extended all over the place. I wanted to be purposeful. I wanted to be impactful and I wanted to have my own business and I wanted to write. And I was doing all those things and I never learned or realized how to bring them all together. And leaving traditional publishing was kind of what set that 
for me. I had another like mini episode of losing my mind after that. (laughs) Yeah. I know it's a privilege. I understand that. I've come to a place in my life where I'm supported not just by myself and my community, but also by my husband. And I was able to make that decision and say, I am no longer going to support anyone or anything, including a publisher that has me very comfortable in my works and my royalties and leave that for my values and what I believe in. Mm -hmm. Because of 2020, what happened it really sent me into this place is if I'm going to go all in, I'm going to go all in or nothing. Yes. You show up full force for what you believe in or don't do it at all. Go back to your comfort. Even to this day, I'm like, you know, I can just shut it all down and just be a farmer. Now I'm growing vegetables. I'm like, I can go that route. There's something in me. And I know those are my ancestors who are not going to allow me to do it. And all of the things that have happened up until this point was them and spirit having me find that for myself. Even if an ancestor showed up to you right now, right in your face and told you that this is supposed to be your purpose, now go and do it. If you do not acknowledge that for yourself and make that decision and choice, that is something that is not going to happen. They're just here to send us the signs, to try to channel through us, to try to send us messages, to try to have all these unfortunate events happen in our lives so that we are pushed to the point that we trust ourselves and believe that we're capable of doing what we're set out to do Mm -hmm. and really want to do this. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to say that because that's kind of what happened when I left traditional publishing. I realized that they are very unfair. They're so unfair in how they pay people and royalties but especially people of color. And this has been true for a lot, a lot of years. Even if they're trying to do better, there's still the percentage of people of color published is insanely low. It's almost disgusting to me Mm -hmm. and to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So use traditional publishing routes. Don't amplify voices of color enough. Diversity is lacking and inclusivity is lacking especially in the spiritual and magical spaces. So coming back full force and saying to myself, okay, I'm no longer with a traditional publisher. What the hell am I going to do now? Because I still want to be an author. I still want to create books, but I want to also bring in amplifying other people and making an impact and a change in the spiritual and magical community so that it can also service the community in those spaces and help them come to their own power. And building Spirit Bound Press, by the way, you're the first one to know. I haven't told anyone publicly yet. We're going to make the announcement. We are now an independent publisher. Woo! Congratulations. Fuck yes. I'm so thrilled for you. Trust me, I'm feeling all the things, you know, like that imposter syndrome still, even with all the healing we do, that still is very alive within us. Yes. And trust me, I'm like, can I be an independent public? Like, who the hell am I? And then I'm like, shut the fuck up, Juliet. You (laughs) can do this. And the reason why I know I can do this is because I'm not doing this alone. This Mm -hmm. comes back to community. Remember, you don't do things alone. You can start it. You can put in the work, but to keep it running and driving it's community. Yes. It's the public. It's whoever you're servicing. So Spirit Bound Press is a magical and spiritual publisher. And our mission is to amplify diverse and inclusive books and voices. This is not to exclude anyone, not even the white folks. At the beginning, people were like, oh, can I submit? You know, I'm not a person of color. Absolutely. What I'm asking for the magical and spiritual community to do especially in collaboration with Spirit Bound Press, is to write 
from an authentic space. Stop recreating what's out there already. Mm-hmm. Stop writing it and just repackaging it in a different way. Oh, you said that, my friend. <laughs> you know how beautiful that would be to start having books go out there that are fresh, refreshing, new perspectives from lived experience, from people who actually belong to those cultures. I want Italian folk, which is get over here. I want you to <laughs> represent your cultures and your practices. I don't care where your ancestors are from. There is authenticity and power in your ancestry, in your land, in your practices, even in the folk tales and lore of where you come from. So I want to mindfully publish people who are ready for a different kind of impact, a different kind of writing experience, and want to bring new, refreshing works out into the world where we can finally say, I see myself in this. I feel connected to this. I feel aligned to this. And not just that, I'm taking away a lot from this book, not information that's been recycled over and over and over, especially information that's been colonized or whitewashed. And when I say whitewashed, it just means that the true essence of that culture and practice was taken away. Yes, yes. And I also know that you're committed to compensating your authors better than the industry standard, which, again, money where your mouth is. And I so appreciate that. We have one of the highest royalty rates to our authors out there besides Row House right now. And equity is so important, especially diversity and inclusivity within your company structure from the person on the top all the way through all the departments to make sure you have this colorful, diverse and inclusive environment. And equity is so important. I believe that people should get paid for the works that they put out there. Writing a book is so hard. It is so hard. (laughs) I I don't care how many years, probably 50 years from now, if I'm lucky enough to still be here, I will still stand by that. Writing a book is incredibly hard. If you're actually writing from an authentic place and you're not plagiarizing or just recopying and recycling, not only are you putting your energy into it, you're putting your time into it. Your mental health has to be taken care of. Your self-care has to be implemented. Some of us don't even have those privileges to do that. You know, there's time constraints, there's deadlines. And then that fear of not knowing if you're going to say the right thing or how your message is going to be accepted. That's all part of what we're going to do. I'm going to also announce um, Literary Craft Society, where we're going to be teaching you how to decolonize your writing and decolonize your writing process Mm -hmm. so that these fears and this hardship of doing something that's beautiful, like writing. Writers are artists. Writers are storytellers. They are the new way of how our ancestors used to speak to each other and tell stories and keep our practices, wisdom, and magic going on for generations. That's how I see writers. And I want to bring that sacredness and that power back to writers because it's become something like, hmm, I have a big platform. I can get a book deal. Let me just put that out there. But there are many of us who passionately love books and language. And I, you, Pam, are one of those people who I Aww. always think of when it comes to like the artistry, the intellectual part of a spirituality and magic. I think of you like in a library, in a museum, because you <laughs> have that really beautiful artist energy as a writer, as a speaker, as a community person that serves in an authentic way for who you are. Ah, you honor me so much and you are making me blush and you're bringing tears to my eyes. I I love you too. Thank you so much, Juliet. Paying authors 
and treating them with love and care. I'm a nine-time best-selling author, an award-winning author now. Yes, yes. And I have a lot of connections and I have a lot of experiences. And that just doesn't magically happen. There's work and there's things that you have to do to put that into place. So for our authors, we also provide that teaching, that literary craft society, they get free access to that. Me as an author and people who work in my company as authors and editors, we help the author put together a six-month plan just so that they feel supported and they're not there by themselves. Mm. When I was in, you know, the other publishing house, the traditional pub, nobody helped me. <laughs> I was freaking out. Yeah. It was community that helped me become successful with that first book. It had nothing to do with me as in knowing how to promote myself or what to do. I learned that afterwards through my years. So we help the author in all ways possible. And we're really decolonizing the way that publishing industry works. Mm. Glorious, glorious. Well, listen, I want to quickly shout out your first book that you're publishing. This is Incantations Embodied by Kimberly Rodriguez, and that is slated for springtime of 2024, correct? Yes, in May. I can't stress enough what a labor of love, both on her side and my side as a first-time publisher. If you think being a writer is hard, try being a <laughs> Yes, yes, I know, I know. The humbling. Oh my God, the humbling, the unlearning, the learning. <laughs> I have a whole cabinet. I have 250 something books of education on publishing, on marketing, on promoting, wow. on all the things that go into publishing because no one teaches you. There's no blueprint. Right. That's something that I also want to bring to light is that people who want to pursue the publishing industry they make it impossible for you to do that. There is no blueprint. No one's out there handing this information to you. You can find generic and like basic information probably online. But when you get into the system and you learn the process, there's so much that goes into it. There's so much that you have to learn. Even the language of the publishing world is freaking ancient and they're yes. still using it. <laughs> yes, 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 my friend. Incantations embody rituals for embodiment, reclamation, and resistance. Mm. She's an indigenous Mexican woman, a poet, and the invocations, the experiences that she allowed to share in this book is empowering and powerful. I say this specifically because Kimberly has a very successful community Poeta, goddess. Mm -hmm. Her posts are about all uplifting, empowerment, poetry, beautiful illustrations, because she's also an illustrator. She's the one that did the cover as well, the illustrations. Oh, which is so beautiful. And also the title and the book cover is resistance to the typical book cover. Our title is sideways. So everything on the book cover is done on purpose to show resistance to show a new way, to show that things can be done differently. We uh -huh. don't have to go to the generic way of how covers need to look or be placed. So we did have pushback on that, but ultimately we got it. We were able to do it. Oh, good for you. Listen, Juliet, I would love to have Kimberly come on the show when the book is going to be published. So we'll connect on that. But in the meantime, I'm so disappointed to say that we are up and out of time. I could talk to you for 50 more years. <laughs> I know just as a final question, there are going to be so many people who are going to be like, how can I submit my manuscript and how can I connect to Juliet overall? So in our final moments together, how can people connect with you with Spearbound Press? And what else do you want to shout out? 
Yes. So on top of Spirit Bond Press, we have two imprints, a children's magical imprint, Little Cauldron, and then Ancestral Archives, where we're going to be publishing Indigenous works through there that are educational, authentic, and bringing back culture. To find me, it's I am Juliet Diaz. Make sure that it's me because I have a lot of spam accounts out there. Yes. And for Spirit Bound Press, it's Spirit Bound Press on all social media. And the same for the website is spiritboundpress.com. All the information you need is there. If you can reach me directly on my page, I can direct you to wherever you need to go. And that's for submitting manuscripts as well, Juliet, or are submissions closed at the moment? They're opening in spring for the house and the imprints. Ah, how magnificent. So exciting. Oh, Juliet, I just think the world of you and the world is so lucky that you are in it. Thank you so much for your magic. Thank you so much for sharing your transformation, your resurrection with me and with the universe. And I cannot wait to see what you do next. Oh, I appreciate you and everyone listening. And Pam, thank you for this platform. What you're doing is powerful and incredible. And I want to remind you of that. Oh, thank you so much, my darling. Please come back again soon. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Juliet Diaz for sharing her spectacular spiritual activism with me. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Please do drop us an email or a voice memo at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on the Witchwire. The Witchwave is a phantasmophile production written and produced by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was recorded and edited by Josh Wilcox and or Walter Nordquist and myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and Eye by Lycanthia. Our new Witchwave logo was designed by Thunderwing. And special thanks, as always, go to Matt Freeman, Laura Antal, and Cece Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now buy Witchwave merch over at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and do consider giving us lots and lots of sparkly stars and glowing reviews. It really, truly does make a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at WitchWavePod, and you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. My book, Waking the Witch, is available everywhere now, and the witchcraft book I edited and co-authored for Tashin is as well, so thank you for checking those out too. And if you want more Witchwave, or you would just like to support the show, please do join us over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash witchwave. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witchwave.